You're now listening to the Bar Stars Podcast, where we explore health, longevity, and performance. I'm your host, Edward Checo, and we'll be diving deeper into topics I've been studying for the last 10 years as a catastatics expert. What's up, what's up, everyone? Today, our guest is Dr. Sean Baker. He's an orthopedic surgeon, a multi-sport world record-setting athlete, the author of The Carnivore Diet, and he eats nothing but animal products. That's right. He avoids fruits and vegetables because they don't make him feel good. Today, we discuss why he went carnivore, what are some of the benefits of going carnivore, and how do we relate carnivore to what we know about the blue zones and some of the longest-lived people. All right, enjoy. How you doing, Sean Baker? I'm doing great, man. It's fun. I, I'm enjoying New York first time here. One thing I noticed, I, I don't, I'm really surprised. There's got a lot of people have Rolexes in New York. They're trying to give them to you all, all over the street, man. Where did all the Rolexes come from? That's what we're famous for. <laughs> so let's start from the beginning. Uh, what made you choose the carnivore diet? Well, I mean, it was a progression. It was the end of a progression, different diets. And so when I was, so I'm 53 now. When I, when I was uh, about 10 years ago, I was 43 I was, you know, starting to see my health decline. I mean, I was an athlete my whole life. I just want to literally won a world championships in Highland games. You know, you want to put a kilt on, you throw those big kind of looking telephone poles, they call them cabers and, you know, stones and all this stuff. And uh, I was about 290, you know, I'm about 240 right now, but I was about 290 and I was seeing my health start to decline. And I started saying, I got I to change diet. I mean, I can't, I can't just train, you know, I can't out train anymore. So I went a low fat, high vegetable, high fiber, you know, lean protein. And I lost weight and got leaner. I went from two, about 290 down to about 230, 235 in about three months. And, you know, it was, you know, looking good, but I felt, felt pretty bad. I mean, I didn't feel that good. Uh, just because I was hungry all the time. I was grouchy, I was irritable. I was working, you know, as a surgeon at the time, and the nurses are like, "Man, we like the fat Dr. Baker a lot better, man. You're you're, you're kind of an ass, you know." So I, I I decided that I can't sustain that, and I was working out. I mean, I was doing three a days, you know, get up in the morning, do a couple thousand jump ropes, you know, lunchtime, crank some weights. Back. Why are you still a surgeon? The whole yeah, my clinic days, you know, because I would I would get up super early in the morning before I went to work, you know, go see patients, do clinic. Lunchtime, I had some time, I'd run and crank some weights out, you know, for 20, 30 minutes, and then when I get home, I'd put my kids to sleep. Nine, ten o'clock at night, I'm cranking out some more, more, you know, rope skips, uh, you, you know, and that worked. But like I said, I can't sustain it, and I was, you know, I was always hungry. So then I switched over to more of a paleo type diet, did that for you know a year or two. Uh, then I kind of got into this low carb type stuff. So reading about it, reading books, looking into the research, ended up doing a ketogenic diet for about two years. Started seeing my patients do it, and saw some pretty interesting stuff uh, with their health. They were losing weight, but also they're their, like their joint pain. I was an orthopedic surgeon replacing knees and hips and shoulders and doing sports medicine and trauma, but particularly for the patients with chronic shoulder and hip and knee pain and tendonitis and nerve problems, that stuff was going away with diet, which I thought was pretty interesting. And so I continued doing that. And then I just, I just started reading about all these people doing this crazy, you know, all meat diet. And I look back and I look back in the days of like, uh, you know, some of the old, old time bodybuilders, steak and eggs diets, Vince Garan and those types of guys. And I said, well, I'm just going to try it to see what it does. I did it for 30 days. You know, and I was pretty impressed. I mean, I was like, man, all my aches and pains went away. I started feeling better. You know, this mood was even better than it was before. Uh, you know, after 30 days, I said, oh, I'll go back to my regular diet. And I just didn't feel as good. You know, I started having sore joints and didn't, my digestion wasn't good. So I went back to it. And about two months later, man, my strength just started taking off. Performance was good in the gym. I went from deadlifting uh, 415 for like 15 reps, you know, which, you know, was not bad for a 50 year old dude to pulling up for 20, you know, 
without any more training, which I thought was pretty, pretty impressive because I could never get past 15 or 16. And I mean, I hopped on, you know, a bunch of meat and a diet and my strength just went up. And I saw my, like I said, I saw my performance in, in indoor rowing, you know, go from uh, already American record to, to blasting the, the world the world record by, you know, I beat the world record in 500 meters by like four seconds. I mean, I just destroyed it uh, and, just, and, and beat my own records. And so that's what got me into it. And then I just, uh, you know, started seeing all the other people getting ben- ben- benefits from it. And so now I've been doing it, you know, a little over three years and still still going strong. Do you attribute you breaking the world records to, to the diet or do you think you cut, you could have possibly broken it on a different diet? Well, I mean, I would have broken the diet. I would have broken the world record, uh, probably regardless, because I was already there when I turned fifty. So it's an age group record. Not at forty nine, I was already breaking the forty world forty year old world record. I was already almost fifty at that time. And so um, that the diet allowed me to do it more than I would have. I mean, I'm cl- I'm definitely convinced. You know, like like the time I got was almost solely attributed to. Uh, you know, the couple seconds I got was due to diet for sure. I was definitely stronger with it. You know, my recovery was better. I could I could train hard every day. In fact, when I when I broke the world record, this is a 500 meter row. I broke it like 10 days in a row. I just went down and broke it, and, went, and the next day I broke it again, and I broke it again, and I broke it again, just because like I'm feeling good, I can go faster. Wow. And my recovery was that. In fact, I broke one of the world records twice in one day. I just went down there, and I was kind of pissed. I remember it was a one-minute row, and the world record was, I think, like 406 meters in one minute, you know, on this rowing machine. And I got down there, and I did like 408 or something like that, and I was like, I can do better. And I was a little pissed, so I went upstairs, and I took a nice cold shower, ate a steak, relaxed for about two, three hours, and went back down and went and pulled another like five or six meters. I went like four, four fourteen or something like that. So And how long were you carnivore at that time? I was probably six months, something like that, I think, or something somewhere in that time frame. What are some changes you felt from going from your diet previously to carnivore? Yeah. So I mean like I said, I was already on a ketogenic diet, so I was already quote unquote fat adapted. I was used to that. I was used to the infrequent meals. But the things that made a difference between that diet and the ketogenic diet was I had, you know, I'd still had some some aches and pains. I had a lot of tendonitis in my quadriceps. Uh, and I'd had that for probably a decade. And as an orthopedic surgeon, I, I know all the tricks on how do you treat this. And I've done all those things. And nothing really worked. That went away about two months in. And it's never come back, which was really just shocking to me. Because I, I expected to live with that the rest of life. You know, as you get older, you get these aches and pains. And you're just kind of used to it. And you're like, yeah, that's, that's going to be the rest of my life. And so that happened. And then, you know, I got, I just got stronger. My sleep just became really, really nice. I mean, I'd fall asleep within 10 minutes, my head hitting the pillow, I'm out. I mean, I just sleep like a baby and it's, you know, and I, you know, I just wake up, I feel great. Um, libido, you know, all that crap, you know, all that stuff, you just feel supercharged. I mean, it feels like you're 20 again. I mean, quite honestly, which is kind of cool. Uh, digestion's perfect. You don't even think about it. It's like, you don't even know you've eaten. I mean, I can literally go and crush two pounds of steak and, you know, 20 minutes later, go do a killer workout and it doesn't bother me at all, which is, you know, really good. I don't get any of that bloating, the cramping, the stuff I had before. Um, you know, energy is pretty even, you know, I'm kind of chilled out. I mean, this is the thing like when Joe Rogan just recently did and he just said, my energy's stable as a rock. And that's, that's kind of what you find. I mean, I'm like, I'm kind of like just chill, but happy. You know, that's, that's kind of the baseline now. You know, it's just like, yeah, life's good. And you're just kind of happy. What's a normal meal? So you, I, I've heard you only eat two meals a day, right? Um, I mean, sometimes, most of the time I do, and that's really directed by appetite. So, I mean, uh, a lot of times, you know, I'll get up steak, a couple steaks for breakfast, or sometimes it'll be steak and eggs. Typically that that's, that's a pretty normal meal. And I'll do the same thing for evening. I mean, you know, here in New York, I mean, it's kind of funny cause I'm on a different time zone. I got in real late and, uh, 
you know, you got diners all over the place, which is pretty cool. They're open late. And I walked down, I got to my hotel room, checked in around, you know, midnight and walked down, found a diner. And I mean, I, I literally, I had, well, you know, like a 12 ounce sirloin. I had a dozen eggs and like 15 strips of bacon. That was wow. my, that was my, <laughs> that was my deal last night, you know? And so I had that. And then, you know, earlier that day, I went to this place called In-N-Out, which is a burger joint in California. I had like tw- 20 burger patties, you know, and they're, they're not, they're, they're like eight, eight ounce. So they're like, not, they're half of a quarter pounder, but I was like two and a half pounds. And that was a, that was kind of a big day for me. I, that was probably, you know, six pounds of food or something like that. But most days, you know, and I'm, I'm 240 right now. And most days I'm eating about four pounds, you know, two in the morning, two in the afternoon. Sometimes, most of the time it's red meat. Probably I'd say, uh, you know, 90%, 95% of the time. Sometimes there's some eggs, sometimes there's some fish. Occasionally I'll throw a little bit of dairy in there, maybe a little yogurt, something like that. But uh, that's that's pretty much what it's been, you know, for, for quite a while now. You was drinking coffee? I never liked coffee, man. I never got into that. So even before you had coffee? Even before. I've had one. I've had literally precisely, I think, one and a half cups. First cup of coffee I had, it was 14. I was working as a dishwasher <laughs> at this Hilton Hotel. You know, as a high school kid, you come in there and you're tired at four. You had to be there like four o'clock in the morning. So, you know, 14-year-old kids don't do well at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that's come rolling in there and I remember the cook was like, hey dude, here has some of this. And it was like coffee, but I think it was from the day before or something like that. I mean, I, 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 I tried, I was like, man, this is the most disgusting thing I've ever had in my life. I spat it out like, I ain't eating that stuff. So like, I don't know, 15 years later, I was dating a girl and she was really into this one. All the flavored coffee was a real, real big deal. So I tried some and I was like, eh, not into it. And I just never got into it. I never really liked hot drinks or anything like that. So I'm not a, not a coffee guy. That's funny because I got into coffee as a full adult. Yeah. What do you think would happen if you started eating fruits and vegetables? Like, what changes would you think you personally would experience? Well, I mean, I've, I've actually played with that a little bit here and there. In fact, I did that recently. And I mean, I just don't feel as good. I mean, my, my digestion is not as good. I mean, I know it sounds weird, but I mean, I just start feeling a little bit of pain, you know, like a little bit of knee pain. You know, like I said, I'm 53. I've been beating on my body for, you know, four plus decades, heavy lifting, heavy training. And, you know, I've, I've probably got some, you know, some degree of arthritis, but. You know, when I'm just eating meat and stuff like that, I don't feel anything. I feel great as soon as I add different foods in there. I get a little bit. It's not horrible, but it's just enough to let you know that, man, I don't want to feel quite like this. And so I've done, like I said, I, I threw in a bunch of raspberries and, uh, uh, you know, and I like them. I mean, it tastes good. I mean, you know, I, 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 there's nothing wrong with that. I don't dislike them at all. And uh, But just for me, you know, maybe maybe just a few and it's okay. But if I eat any significant quantity of that and certainly you know junk food you know which uh like i'm not a purist i don't tell people you should only eat meat and you're you're you know everything else is bad but you know i, I i'm just very objective about it you know I, i'm not people talk about being dogmatic or being a zealot right and I'm, I'm like the only thing i'm dogmatic about is saying let's find something that works well for you for health and, and keep doing that and if it's all meat and a lot of people do that that's great if it's meat plus some fruit that's fine if it's if it's a vegan diet that's fine i mean i think it's kind of a silly diet but regardless if it works for you then then you can do that and uh but you know in my experience and what i'm seeing over and over again now that meat is probably a pretty big health food in fact it's probably if there's a superfood out there i'd say that's what it is and it just makes sense if you if you really get into it and think about it what do you think about uh or different organizations classifying red meat and processed meat as a carcinogen? Yeah, that's a great question. So in 2015, the World Health Organization, through a panel called the IARC, the International Association for Research on Cancer, declared that you know red meat was a class 2 carcinogen and processed meat was a class 1 carcinogen. And so the evidence that he used, so this is interesting. So there's a guy on the panel, his name is David Clorfield. He was a professor that was on the panel. And it, wasn't, it was not a unanimous decision. There's a lot of people that were very upset about that decision. There were many vegans, vegetarians, and Seventh-day Adventists on that panel. 
Uh, they failed to disclose that conflict of interest. He had asked them to do that. They say, no, we're not going to disclose that. They threw out a whole bunch of studies that, that went against their findings. Uh, it was based almost entirely on what's called epidemiology, which is just this based survey data of people that, you know, you ask them, you use something called a food frequency questionnaire, which says, you know, hey, Edward, what did you eat for the last six months? How many cups of ribs did you have? And you're just scratching your head saying, I don't remember. And notoriously, when they look at those studies, they say most people over-report fruit and vegetables consumption, sometimes like 82% of the time. So you don't have a really good idea what they're even eating. And so you're making these speculations and guesses on that. And that doesn't even include the healthy user bias. So whereas people that say, hey, man, smoking, drinking, and eating red meat's bad for you. And so those people that eat red meat are more likely to smoke and drink, and they get kind of confounded in there. And there's all these different uh, things that, that, that confuse the data. So there's no real studies on that. But it, more interestingly, uh, there's a guy by the name of Gordon Gott. He's a, he's, a, he's a professor in Canada. He invented evidence-based medicine. Literally, he came up with that term. We all like to talk about evidence, evidence-based medicine. So he's been studying the evidence and he's an expert at studying, studying the evidence and arguably the world-leading authority on on evidence. And I interviewed him recently, you know, on our little podcast. And he basically came out and said, look, we have no strong evidence whatsoever. In fact, the only evidence that shows that red meat is a carcinogen and causes heart disease is extremely, extremely weak evidence. And so we've got, we've just got weak evidence. And so when we look at, you know, what are the things that are going to give you cancer? I mean, all the things. And it's not just red meat. You could say red meat causes colorectal cancer. You know, if we look at the, the absolute risk, it, ta- it changes your risk from 4% to 5%. So 1% increase in risk, which is just really, really tiny when you think about it. But when you say, what else can increase my risk for getting colon, colon cancer? Well, being overweight can by much more than 1%. Uh, having chronic inflammation, much more than 1%. You know, this is something like, you know, 100%, 200%, things like that. Um, uh, having, you know, um, inflammatory bowel disease or irritable bowel syndrome, or not irritable bowel syndrome, but inflammatory bowel disease increases the relative risk by 3,000%. Having hyperinsulinemia increases it by several hundred percent. So when we look at people eating meat, like myself, and, and, and they eat a lot of meat and they are only meat, what happens to them almost always is they get leaner, they lose fat, they lose belly fat, their inflammation goes away, their hyperinsulinemia goes away, if they have inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's disease or also colitis, that goes away. So all these risk factors go away, and all you're left with is this tw- tiny one percent absolute risk increase. So I'm like, it's it's kind of it, it wipes it all out. So I'm not really concerned about that. And in fact, in 2019, it's very controversial. But Gordon Gott, 14 other researchers came out with the the, the biggest red meat study that's ever been done. And they looked oh, at the that. evidence. They, and they used a grade classification, which is accepted by the World Health Organization, by the way. And many other 110 organizations accept this classification. And they basically said, look, man, there's no evidence. There's no strong evidence whatsoever. It's all weak evidence. And so you can make your decision what you want. And I think that's fair to say. I mean, here's what the problem is. The real problem is, is trying to tell people what diet to eat to make them live long. We have no effing idea. I mean, we just don't. And if we admit, admit to that, and we say, okay, look, we really don't know what's going to make you live longer or shorter because we don't know. We honestly don't know. What can we tell people? Well, I think what you can do is you can tell people, hey, man, we can take people that are diseased, you know, you know, obese, overweight, sick, diabetic, uh, you know, depressed, autoimmune diseases, and we can take them in that situation and move them to being healthy. 
And that's all we really can do. I mean, that's all we can really demonstrate. And that's what we really should focus on. So instead of telling everybody, eat this way to avoid a heart attack in 30 years, tell people, eat the way it's going to make you personally healthy. It's going to make you not sick anymore. It's going to make you feel good. It's going to make you so you can get out there and do, you know, one-arm muscle-ups or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever stuff is out there that, that makes us function well as humans. If we stick to that, we're going to help a hell of a lot more people. And I can tell you the people that are out there that can they can do the athletic stuff and be lean and not be depressed are going to probably have a better quality of life for sure. I mean, that's pretty obvious. But I think they're also going to probably have a longer life too, or at least a more satisfying life. Well, have you heard about the Blue Zones? Of course, yeah. So there's a lot of blues. There's five, I think there's five Blue Zones. And so one of the things is they say, well, the Blue Zones ate a mostly plant-based diet. So first of all, none of them ate a vegan diet. None of them. There's no such the evidence that they eat vegan diets. And so the second second thing we have to realize is diet is really only a small small part of why we live long. There are a lot of factors. And so the other thing, a recent study came out looking at the blue zones and say that they say the most likely reason the blue zones have people that live a long time is because they're accounting their census data. The fact that they don't have birth certificates is rife with fraud and error. So they're saying they don't even know how old these people actually are. So it's all made up data anyway. But you can, you know, if you dig into that a little more, like for one thing, people talk about Okinawa. So Okinawa is this island off Japan where people live a long time. And they say, well, these people eat a lot of sweet potatoes. And this is what, and this is why they live long. Well, the interesting thing about that particular population is the data they obtained about the sweet potatoes was taken in 1949. This is when they served, they surveyed these people. So if we look back into history, what, what happened right before 1949? Well, it was World War II. And during World War II, we wiped out about a third of the population of Okinawa. I mean, the U.S. decimated Okinawa. One of the things we killed is we killed off all their pigs. They used to have about 130,000 pigs on that little island. And after we, we went through World War II, they had something like 700 pigs left. So guess what? They're starving. Guess what they're eating? Whatever they can scrounge up. So they survey these people right after World War II when they're scrounging up, eating, you know, eating some potatoes to stay, stay away from starving. But what really, when you when you anybody that goes to Okinawa, it's known as the island of pork. I mean, they eat they eat everything with, with with pork. They eat lots and lots of pork, and then of course there's seafood there as well. And so it's really a misrepresentation of what that population all you know actually showed. And so we can look at other populations which are much bigger than the blue zones. I mean, the blue zones. If you add up all the blue zones together, yeah, I mean that's uh, you know several hundred thousand people. But we can look at one population, for instance, Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Just Google it. Go look Hong Kong life expectancy, and you will find it says Hong Kong lives the longest of anybody, right? Seven million people in Hong Kong. Guess which country or which area eats the most meat of anybody on earth? I follow you on Twitter. So. Right. So Hong Kong, right? So Hong Kong, they eat the most, you know, they eat the most meat of anybody on the planet. They live the longest. And oh, by the way, they have the highest IQ on the planet, too. And maybe they have enough IQ to tell them to eat meat. I don't know, or it made them smart. Who knows what the deal is with that? But so you've got this contrast about what blue zones but i mean really i mean if you want to live long live in a rich country that has good access to health care that's not plagued by uh you know you know uh poor water quality you know poor you know disease stuff like that because we see much of these third world countries starving countries where you know life expectancy certainly in some place in africa so you know life expectancy is only like 44 and this is because these people don't have access to uh you know uh, clean drinking water they don't have access to food in general i mean they're loot lacked down to food they don't have certainly don't have access to advanced uh, medical care and they don't have you know, all the cultural and social support systems so when we talk about length length of life again 
you can't really cont- contribute that to diet that much. I mean, it's, it's just silly to talk about, really. And it goes to my earlier point. Just take people that are sick and make them healthy, and you're going to do – it's going to be a huge win. Are you worried about any nutritional deficiencies from uh, commonly nutrients and vitamins found in plants? Uh, no, not at all. I mean, I think you can make the argument that, you know, if you look at a carnivore diet, you know, particularly one that's, you know, just steak and eggs or something like that, you would see uh, potential vitamin C deficiency. Some people would talk about folate. Some people would talk about some of the trace minerals. But, I mean, clinically what's happening is we're just not seeing that. I mean, and certainly if someone did develop that, I mean, it's easy enough to say, hey, take something, take a supplement, take a pill, whatever. You can get it. You you can make that diet. You know, you can you can throw in organ meats and seafood and dairy and, and make a nutritionally RDA complete diet. The, the problem is the RDA doesn't reflect the needs of people on different diets. I mean, it's clear, and even the RDA is starting to admit that. You know, we see that if you add phytic acid, and phytic acids are, are found in things like you know legumes, you know beans, and something like things like that. If you have a lot of phytic acid in your diet, right now the RDA says you got to get more zinc because the phytic acid is binding it so you can't absorb it. So we're already seeing uh, some some concession that, hey, people on a different diet have different mineral and vitamin needs. Clearly vitamin C, I mean, I mean, you're, you're looking at me, I'm not dead from scurvy, right? I'm still yeah. here having a conversation, you know, I'm not fading away, I'm not, you know, my teeth aren't falling out, my joints aren't falling apart. Uh, I mean, you probably follow me on social media, I'm still training pretty hard, you know, for a 53-year-old guy. Uh, so. Yeah, I think that uh, we just have to look at the the requirements a little differently and say it is what it is, you know, because it's it's it's. I tend to go by results, and I, I this is what this is what the only thing I care about is results. When the rubber meets the road, the results are what count, and we're seeing people without any clinical signs of any deficiencies, and so therefore you have to say, okay, how do we explain that? Not that oh, you're definitely going to get a deficiency in ten years because we have no way of, of. There's no no evidence that would suggest that. You know, so far, and if it does show up, hey, it's not hard to, to supplement. It's not like we're, again, this is very different from the ideology, ideologically based vegan diet, where people say you must do this to save the animals or whatever. I believe this. If if you need to eat uh, some orange slices to get vitamin C or whatever, you know, we can say avocado or you know whatever we name the fruit or vegetable, um, then do it. That's fine. It's it's not a it's not a it's not a religion or belief system, but. In my experience, most people, most people, in fact, I've not, I've yet to find a person that needs to do that so far. Do you take any supplements? I don't. I, well, I mean, I would say salt. If you want to consider salt a supplement, then I would say that would be the supplement. But I don't take vitamins. I don't take multivitamins. I don't take vitamin C pills. I don't. I don't take testosterone. I don't take any any exogenous hormones or drugs or any of that stuff. You sprinkle salt on top of the steak. Typically, yeah. And sometimes, you know, honestly, I'll put a little bit in in before I train. I'll put a little salt in a. Uh, uh, you know, a large glass of water. And the reason I do that, when you go on a low carb diet, you know, you end up losing salt and water. You, you know, people get, you know, they find that they feel flat. And so what you do, and that, and that's the reason carbs make you hold on and, and, and fill out is because of the fluid, right? It's not the carb, it's the fluid. It's not the glycogen necessarily. It's actually the water that's there. So you can kind of hack that by just taking some salt and water before training. Your muscles and, and vasculature, your vessels will fill up with fluid they'll work more efficiently. You'll get a better workout. I've seen on the Joe Rogan podcast, you had launched uh, a website to collect uh, different testimonials. Uh, this was a while ago. What have you seen uh, to date? Yeah, so that was something that we did with a website called meatheals.com and we've since morphed that into something called MeatRx, like meat and then R, like the RX sign for prescription. Uh, we have just got hundreds and hundreds of testimonials from everything. I mean, I mean, there's almost name the problem and, and we've got people that have solved it with 
meat-based diet. And it's really fascinating because we have people with all kinds of mental health issues, depression, anxiety, bipolar, even P- PTSD, uh, people that were completely suicidal that get away from that, you know, by changing their diet, which is really, I think, really fascinating. Joint pain, you know, whether it's plain old arthritis or rheumatoid arthritis or psoriasis, skin problems, eczema, allergies, some asthma, all kinds of digestive issues, whether it's irritable bowel syndrome or Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, um, you know, even genetic disorders, which is really, really bizarre to me. I've seen some people with weird genetic disorders, like something called Ehlers-Danlos, where they keep dislocating their joints. They go on the diet and they no longer dislocate their joints, which is really kind of shocking to me. People with addiction problems, people with, you know, cigarette, alcohol, you know, prescription drugs, illegal drugs, you know, they, they, they just find that they don't need that stuff anymore and they get away from that. So, I mean, I'd, it's, it's really amazing. And I get it every single day. I mean, not, not a day goes by where I don't have three, four, five, 10, 20 people sending me messages that say, hey, Dr. Baker, my life had completely changed. Thank you for what you're doing. And it's really, you know, it's really, really it gets you up in the day. It makes you, makes you wake up and enjoy what you do. I can imagine affecting so many different people. How many people have submitted testimonials to your website? I don't know. I mean, I know it's at least 500, you know, at this point. And we, we get more every day. You know, like I said, we, we have a lot that we haven't even published yet. We just kind of trying to keep up with all this stuff. We have support groups now. We, we've kind of started this platform called meterx.com where we have people come on an online video chat and we just to you know, talk about what's going on, give them information. It's really, really helping because one of the things, any intervention you do, whether it's diet, exercise, some kind of lifestyle thing, it's always nice to have a support system, you know, and going out there and saying, hey, I'm going to eat a meat-based diet is alienating for a lot of people. A lot of people feel like it's kind of weird or people aren't going to support me or they're going to call me this evil person because I'm eating meat, you know, the craziness we have going on now. And so they just need this extra support system, which has really been, uh, uh, really been helpful for, for a lot of these people. You find it hard to be at social events like birthday parties and no, not at all. I mean, I you know, like I said, if if it's something where I'm worried I'm going to be hungry, I'll just eat before I go. I mean, you pre, you know, you kind of just go eat something like that. But there's usually something there I can eat if I want to eat. You know, I don't obsess about food. I mean, it's kind of crazy because what I do is food based. But I for my personal stuff, I just man, I'm pretty laid back. I'm like, oh, if I'm hungry, I'll eat. If there's no food I can eat, I can wait. The nice thing is it gives you this sort of really neat ability to 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 go a long time without being hungry. You know, and it's kind of like, you know, you, it's, some people talk about the benefits of fasting, but I just uh, naturally don't need to eat that much. You know, I, I you know, basically well, I had a little tiny snack today just because I was, I was waiting for this other interview I did. And uh, but I mean, generally I can go all day without eating. No problem. Yeah, I was I was keto for like maybe six months and I remember it blunted my appetite hard. Like towards the end of it, I had to remind myself to eat. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's something you can do. I think I think for a lot of people, I mean, because I, I did a ketogenic diet, and many people that do this diet come from a ketogenic background, and I'd say a high percentage of them find it preferable just because it's so much easier. You know, they don't have to think. I mean, it's, it's, it simplifies nutrition. Do you know, what's the longest carnivore practicer you know? Well, I mean, in Western society, I mean, there's you, there's arguably, you know, whole societies that have done it for millennia, their whole lives. Uh, I mean, there was a guy in Australia that did it for 53 years until he was in a car wreck and died at like, I don't know, 77 or something like that. There's some couple, there's a couple that's been doing it for 21 years, a whole bunch of people doing it a decade or more. So, I mean, it's, you know, certainly doable for people long term if they want to. Who would you recommend the carnivore diet to? Well, I'd say, you know, first let me start with who I would not recommend it to. I think if you're happy with your health and you're doing good, then there's no reason to change. You know, I mean, I think, and that's probably a significant percent of the people. I think beyond that, you know, if you're trying to solve an issue, 
if you've got a, a medical issue, whether it's just you know, chronic pain, you know, depression or something like that, and you've been to doctor after doctor after doctor and you're on these pills and it's just not working for you, I think it makes sense to try it. I mean, there's no real down. I mean, the downside to doing it for, and I think really 90 days is a good a good test of this. You know, do it for 90 days. I mean, the worst thing is you'll eat a bunch of steaks. I mean, you know, I mean, that's not the end of the world. And you might you might find something. You might solve something. I, I would say that the vast majority of medical problems, you know, they're, they're hugely grounded in diet. And diet's probably one of the biggest things. I mean, diet, sleep, exercise are probably the big three, you know, things we can do. There's some other things in there as well. But diet's probably the, the, the major one that, that we can have a look at. And it, it makes it a lot easier you know, even if you use it as, as an elimination diet, to eliminate all these variables that would make it confusing to figure out what's causing the problems. Because, you know, a normal person is eating, you know, 100, 200, 300 types of food, you know, different ingredients, and it's really, really hard to pick one out to see which one's causing trouble. So the, 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 the quickest way to solve that problem, in my view, put somebody in a carnivore diet for three months, see how they do, if they get, if they get better, and then you just start slowly adding, you know, adding things back in. Have you ever gotten a, a bad story from you following the carnivore diet? Yeah, I mean, I've had people that, you know, first that uh, had a hard time transitioning. They didn't like it. It was boring. You know, they couldn't get it. They couldn't kind of kick, you know, being, you know, having the carbohydrate in the diet. Sure, that happens. Uh, I've not really seen many people get sick from it, you know, as far as like, you know, really having issues. I mean, there will undoubtedly be people, you know, the longer this goes and more people do it, they will, they'll have medical problems. I mean, that's just the law of averages, you know. But I think in general, you know, it's particularly if you compare it to the average diet, you know, we call it the standard American diet. I think the carnivore diet population is going to be a lot healthier. And it's really exciting that we've got a huge study coming up with Harvard University that's going to be uh, looking looking at this, this population, which I think will be, uh, you know, give it a lot more credibility. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, the, the principal investigator, the senior investigator, is a guy named David Ludwig. David Ludwig is one of the top, you know, well-recognized uh, nutrition MBC researchers on the planet. You know, he's out. At, he's again, he's out of Harvard University. Uh, he approached me about uh, maybe doing a carnivore study. I think what what caused him to do that is that his secretary went on it and just. All, like had a tremendously positive experience you know health issues went away just really raving about it and so he started looking into it and you know kind of contacting me and saying hey man what's the story on this and where do i get meat here and said would you be interested in helping us get a study going i said of course they presented it you know they wrote it up it's gone through the institutional process to to, to make sure it's ethical and um my understanding is it's about through that right through the committee and in March, we'll start collecting data. And so it'll be open to people that have been doing the diet for at least six months. And there'll be some extensive questioning, some lab, lab data likely. And then they're going to you know, collect all that data, look at the population, you know, and say this is the status of people that do carnivore diet. And then they'll write it up. And it'll get published in a probably in a very significant journal. And it'll be a very, I think, really, really highly looked at study. You know, a lot of people will look at it. So I think it's going to be exciting. It's going to drive more interest. Uh, and it, people being open-minded enough to say, look, you know, and, and, and I've never sort of said everybody should do the diet or it's necessary for everybody to do it. But I think it is a viable option for many, many people to do. And I think in sort of people saying, rather than saying, well, it's a last-ditch effort out of desperation, which is how many people started this, I think honestly... Um, you know, when you have a medical problem, I mean, really diet and lifestyle should be the first intervention. And in my view, this is probably one of the most powerful ones. So I think probably uh, many people should look at this as doing this as something early on and saying, hey, you know, maybe 
all that processed food, you know, all the Doritos and the Twinkies and the ice cream and the cookies and the crap that we all are exposed to, you know, particularly in the mountain we are, is not a good idea for us. And maybe we eliminate that. And, you know, meat's not the bad guy. Meat's actually a very, and I think I said this before, meat is really a superfood. If we include a lot of that in our diet, see what happens. And I think many people would be very, very surprised. Do you ever crave Twinkies or pizzas? Or? <laughs> you know, not really. I mean, you know, I, I don't like, for sure, I don't crave broccoli and spinach and, and that stuff. I never, I never really liked that stuff, even as a kid, you know, and, uh, I certainly don't now, um, but I, like I said, I think, you know, if I wanted to, I, I wouldn't hesitate to do it. You know, I'm not, I'm not, like I said, I'm not here to say you have to be perfect all the time. You know, like I said, I think, again, the, the nice thing about where I'm at now, as opposed to where I was, you know, five or six years ago, is I can be hungry and be in a room with a plate of cookies or donuts or something because yeah, i like sweets i mean we all do i mean i like that stuff i could sit down there and polish off three pints of Baron ben and jerry's i mean no problem right but now i can be there and i'm like eh, i can take it or leave it i don't need that stuff whereas before you know it's kind of eating at the back of your mind you get these little voices saying hey just have one bite man it's gonna be good you know you take one bite of a, of a cookie and then all of a sudden you've got 12 of them that you that are sitting in your belly and you can't stop right you know <laughs> once you once you crack that you know that damn breaks i mean it's it's full speed but now it's like I totally can just do whatever I want. I can have that, have that control, that mental control over this stuff, which is, I mean, it's almost like a superpower in these, these day and age, you know? Yeah. Do you feel like that was, that was a switch when you weren't in keto or just strictly from carnivore, it kind of erased your cravings for carbs? I think carnivore was better because with keto, you know, I was constantly making keto desserts, keto cheesecakes, you know, you know, this, this sort of thing, just tr trying to keep that stevia sweetener, all this sweet thing alive you know it's just kind of like oh i can get that little treat i get that little hit man you get that little sweet sugary maybe it wasn't all real sugar but i'm still getting that same you know kind of taste hit that i was missing and now because i, I kind of just said i'm going to detox oh, that's not a very good word i'm just going to take that out of my diet for you know however period of time three months six months and now it's like I can take that stuff or leave it. I'm not craving that stuff, you know. And, uh, you know, if I want to have a bite of something, I can take one bite and I'm good, you know, that type of stuff. If you go back in time, would you start the carnivore diet earlier? Yeah, definitely. I definitely would have. I would have I would have started it probably in my 20s, and I probably would have stayed probably carnivore adjacent, meaning I would probably still maybe eat some other foods if they didn't bother me, and I'd be more in tune with what, what food does to my body, you know. Because, I mean, right now I'm very... The only advantage of being an old guy is you've got all these sort of war wounds, right? And, you know, when I'm off diet or if I'm eating something that's wrong for me, my body lets me know right away. It's like, hey, man, that, that ain't good. <laughs> you know. So I get that feedback. But, you know, when you're 20 or 25 and everything's good, you can eat whatever you want. You don't get that feedback, but it's really slow. And what happens is you get this slowly accumulating accumulating damage. I mean, there's a nice study that came out looking at these cells called synoviocytes, which produce the joint fluid, the lubricating fluid in, in, our, in many of our joints, like our knee and hip and you know shoulder and some of these major joints. And they saw that those cells that were exposed to really high levels of insulin cause those cells to, to, to make these things called inflammatory cytokines. So these are cellular molecules that, that irritate and, and lead to arthritis. And so, but that's a slow process. And so if you can avoid much of that, you probably find that, you know, you don't have those issues for a lot of people outside of trauma. You know, you fall and shatter your kneecap, you know, you're going to have, you're going to have issues with that. But the slow, like grinding 
biologic process that, that's that's arthritis will likely be less in my view. Uh, you posted something about C.T. Fletcher recently. <laughs> he was uh, eating a salad. Is he a vegan now? Yeah, he's doing vegan, and I, you know it's all in fun. I mean, I, I you know I, I wish C.T. the best. You know, I've never met C.T., but I mean, obviously he's inspired a lot of people, and you know he's been a, a really strong guy. And we're you know I think he's a few maybe a couple years older than me, but I mean I grew up seeing the same things, you know, doing the same people, you know, type of stuff. And, you know, he got, he's had a heart transplant. Obviously he's very, he's got a second lease in life. So he's very happy. He's trying to take care of it. And I think he just got some bad information quite honestly. I don't think the vegan diet is going to put him at any, you know, I think the issues he's going to have are going to be different than, than what was before. And, you know, he blames a meat-based diet. But when he, when he posts what he was eating, I mean, he was eating McDonald's, French fries and buns and cokes and apple pies and all that stuff. And then you're trying to say, well, it's the meat. Well, it's, it's probably not the meat CT. It's it's the other crap that you're eating. And this is the, the, the whole problem with this whole situation. I mean, Americans, the standard American diet, for those who don't know it, is at least 70% plant-based. I mean, we people want to say it's not that it's plant-based crap. I mean, it's re- refined carbohydrates, grains, seed oils, soybean oil, sweetener, sugar, but that's still plant-based stuff. And so trying to blame it on meat, you know, the average American only eats about a little over two ounces of beef a day, which is tiny. Think about how much two ounces. Of, if somebody gave you a two-ounce steak, I mean, you're like, where's, where, where's the food, man? It's a tiny is amount. Is it about the amount of your fist? That's, no, it's like something like, you know, maybe your thumb would wow. be two ounces. So that's how much red meat the average American eats a day, or, or I should say beef. We eat just as many calories in soybean oil now as, as we eat beef. And so... Uh, red meat in particular, particularly beef, from 1975 or so, we went from nearly 100 pounds a person to down to almost 50 pounds, a little more than 50. So our beef consumption has gone down significantly. And what's happened to the population in that same time in the last 50 years? We just got fatter, sicker, more diabetic, more chronic disease. And so it's really hard to make the argument that, that particularly red meat is causing these issues. And the other thing is, like I said, I eat on average 20 times as much red meat as the average American. And, you know, I'm, you would think if red meat was a problem, I would be the fattest, sickest, unhealthiest guy on the planet. And instead, I'm, you know, breaking world records and winning world championships and, you know. Doing, and you can dunk. And I can dunk a basketball and I'm walking around with 500 pounds in my arms doing farmer's walks. And my heart scan was perfectly clear, which is another thing because people say, well, you got all these physical things and it doesn't make a difference. But it's also true that being physically fit, and I know a lot of your listeners are in, you know, they're just amazing guys doing all these crazy calisthenic stuff. Thank you. That is important. I mean, that 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 is a sign of health. And I don't care what anybody thinks. You know, sure, there are people that are fit to die, but the average person that, that is unhealthy and, and, and dying is not the guy doing the, you know, the, I don't even know some of the tricks you guys do. But, muscle up. Well, I know the muscle up, but I mean, you know, the ring stuff and the skin, the cats and, you know, all, all the crazy moves you guys do. Uh, that's not the person who's laying in the hospital. The other person laying in the hospital is a fat dude that's 50 pounds overweight with a big gut that, you know, has trouble walking to the fridge. I mean, this, this is the true facts. And so the people that just say, well, muscle has nothing to do with health, that's absolutely wrong. In fact, there's a lot of studies that support having muscle protects you from heart disease, protects you from cancer, protects you from dementia, makes you live longer. So one lesson we should all learn is that whatever your diet is, whatever you do, Retaining lean muscle mass and being being functional is going to not only improve your quality of life, but also improve the quantity of your life. I was actually going to ask about that. So you, you've posted about uh, slim vegans before. <laughs> uh, do you feel like that's 
a, a factor in health, just like the fact that they're they're slim. But let's say they they're slim, but let's say they have perfect uh, blood results. Well, I mean, again, this is a this is a uh, sort of how do we assess health? And I think when we look at blood in particular, we have to realize that our blood work can change every single day. So you can't just go in there and say, this is my blood today, and therefore it represents everything all the time for me. It's very variable. Um, it's more important, in my view, to look at, particularly as we get older, things that show what's going on chronically. So with, like the heart scan I had, the coronary artery calcium scan, which shows how much atherosclerosis is in your heart, or at least is a pretty good measure of that. And like mine was zero, which is really good. I mean, you, you want that. But things like waist to height measurement, you know, how much, you know, how much belly do you have? Visceral fat, how much fat do you have in your liver? How much fat do you have in your pancreas? How much fat do you have around the rest of your internal organs? Those things tend to correlate pretty negatively with health outcomes. And they're more, they're more, uh, at least chronic, at least some of those are, you know, you can look at the vessels in your neck and your carotid arteries. And so those things to me are more meaningful. And then again, some of the athletes, like your, what's your VO2 max? How much, how much output can you put from your cardiovascular and your respiratory system? Those things really have more bearing on health, longevity, and, and then, then what's your cholesterol Tuesday versus what it was on Friday, because it may change. Um, you know, there's some things you can look at that are generally signs of good health, low inflammatory markers. You know, we can take a, take a blood test, but guess what? If you have a hard workout, that may throw those inflammatory markers up. And so you, the question is, am I unhealthy or did I just have a hard workout? So that, that's a problem with, with, with basically blood testing. But, but, you know, back to your question about vegans being skinny, and sometimes I use the word sarcopenic, which means they've lost a lot of muscle mass. We know that people that don't have a lot of muscle mass, you know, particularly as they get older, are at high risk for really going downhill quickly if they get any kind of insult, if they get a respiratory illness, uh, if they get a cancer, for instance. I mean, they're, they're likely not going to survive that. So you got to, you know, you've got to sort of build up a, you know, you know, a, a front of protection. And, and that's what that lean muscle mass is doing, you know. You don't have to be a bodybuilder, you know, you don't have to be Mr. Olympia, but you should be strong, you should carry a decent amount of mass. You should need somebody to help you with the groceries when you're 60. I mean, I, that, that's just silliness. I mean, if you need that, you know, you're not making the right decisions, you know, and this is something that, you know, takes time over time. And, you know, the average vegan person is, you know, on average, I mean, obviously there's exceptions. And some of these guys are doing well despite their diet. You know, and I think, you know, you can argue some some people, drug usage and stuff like that, that's a whole different topic. But, I mean, these guys that do well as athletes, I applaud them for doing that. But I would say, almost undoubtedly, if you added, you know, animal food back in your diet, and not junk food, because most people, when they go on a vegan diet, and they say, well, I just cut out animal products. And that's not true. They may cut out, and dairy is a very questionable one. Sometimes dairy is a problem for people. They may cut out dairy. They may cut out, they usually cut out sugars, and they cut out, the, the oils, and, you know, as we see the whole food plant-based, no oil. I mean, this is, they, they keep adding letters on this, you know, it's like, first it was plant-based, then it was whole food plant-based, and then now it's whole food plant-based, no oil, because they keep cutting out junk food, and that's what makes them better. And that's the same thing I do. I mean, I don't eat junk food. I mean, I eat, I eat, I eat the reason I eat what I do is because I, I'm eating what I think is a very healthy diet, and I'm not, you know, like I said, I'm not out there eating the, the Oreos and all that stuff, which, and this is the thing. For a diet to be successful, you know, if I say, you know, Edward, I want you to go on a diet, I'm going to say, well, I want. You, what do you like to eat? And you may say, man, I like, 
I like some of the junk food. It tastes good, man. And they make it because it tastes good. I like eating a cookie here and there. I like a light of pint of ice cream. And I say, man, you can't eat that anymore because it's bad for you. And, but I'm going to say, you know what? You're going to eat some, some leaves, some kale, some quinoa, and, and that's what you got. You know, and, and then you're going to say, well, man, this, this kind of sucks. That's why I was, you know, I was kind of making fun of CT and his salad. Like he looks like he's enjoying it. But I bet in his heart of his heart or his old lady heart, the grandma heart that he's got, he's like, man, I wish I could eat something else, you know, because it's not very satisfying. It really isn't. And then what you have is you kind of eat, eat and eat and eat until you stuff your, your guts so full of that indigestible fiber that you're like, oh, I can't eat anymore. Uh, and then you get a little bloated and it doesn't feel very good. And then you're hungry a couple hours and you keep doing it again and again. Whereas, uh, you know, so to, 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 to make a diet successful long-term, you've got to make sure you like the food, right? Because if I tell you, you eat stuff you don't like, I mean, you're not going to do it very long. I like steaks. I mean, it ain't hard for me to sit down to a nice big juicy T-bone or a ribeye and you ain't got to sell me on that. It's not like somebody saying, oh, damn it, I got to eat a steak again. I mean, I, I, that just doesn't happen. But the other thing is, you know, you can't be hungry all the time. So if I tell you to go on a diet and you're going to be hungry every day all the time and all you're doing is obsessively thinking about food, you know, oh, man, I wish I could eat something else. I mean, I, I mean then, 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 then what happens is, you know, a month into it, when your discipline cracks, you're in that fridge and you just pound out. You're, you're sneaking off to the grocery store to 7-Eleven. You get that pint of ice cream or whatever and you just, you know, chow that down when no one's looking. That's what happens when you're hungry all the time. But if you're not hungry, and what I see with me and many others that do this, man, you load up a pound of ribeye, six eggs for breakfast, you're good, man. You don't want to eat. You're just not hungry. So the key, key to success is like the food, don't be hungry, and that, you know, that, that really makes it successful long term. What would be the, the guiding principles you give to someone who wants to start the carnivore diet? Yeah, I mean, I tell them, one, don't think of it as a lifetime commitment. It's not. It's a test. It's a tool. Use it as you need to. Use it as long as you need to. Some people want to do it for a long time. That's fine. Um, enjoy the food. Don't count calories initially. Don't worry about macro percentages. Just enjoy the damn food. Enjoy it. You know, you keep it, keep, you know, eat steaks, eat burgers, eat some, throw some eggs on there. We have some variety. Throw some seasoning in there if you need it to make it more exciting. Um, you know, don't worry. Don't beat yourself up. If you slip up one day, just get back on the horse. Um, do it long enough. And how much do you eat? You eat enough so you don't want cupcakes, you know, or whatever, or pizza or whatever. That's how you do it. That's how you, the first thing I tell every person I consult with or coach, I say, look, change your relationship with food. I don't care what your goal is. If you want to lose 50 pounds, that's great. If you want to fix whatever digestive issue, that's great. First thing to do, change relationship with food. If you don't change that relationship with food, you're never going to last because you're always going to be in the back of your mind, man, I want something else. And you're going to crack and you're going to cave. So get to that magic period. Like it might be two months, six months in, whatever it takes. And then you get to that stage where, man, I don't want that stuff. I could care less about it. I don't even consider it food. Um, I can still have it if I really want it, you know, but I don't need to. That's that. Then you've reached this sort of special place, this really freeing place. A lot of people talk about restrictive it is, but it's really freeing. You become liberated. You know, so you've got this, it's almost like having a, this magic superpower of, I can resist all this other food. And, you know, because it's everywhere. I walked down, I just walked six miles through New York today. I mean, there's food everywhere. Halal stations, you know, pizza shops, you know, bagel places. I mean, it's everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And I just walk by and I'm good. I don't need that stuff. Um, so that that is where you got to get to. That, that that's, that, that's step one. And then you can go 
I want to get down to whatever sub ten percent body fat, or I want to, you know, I want to heal this disease, or blah blah blah. And there's there's little things you can do to shift around, but I mean the be- the beginning principles are always generally the same. Joe Rogan complained a lot about uh, diarrhea. I think at yeah. the beginning, yeah, is that common? Um, it happens about it seems about twenty twenty five percent of the time. And what we see, you know, and, and you know, like I said, a lot of people when they just cold turkey stop fiber. You know, and I, and I know Joe talked about this a little bit, but I, and I told him, I said, look, you know, what happens is, you know, when you're taking a lot of fiber in your diet, that fiber binds up a lot of fluid and your colon doesn't really see it. It doesn't really have to deal with it. But when you take the fiber out of your diet now, all that fluid goes straight through. And the job of the colon or one of the jobs of the colon is to reabsorb those fluids. And if it's not used to it, it's like an athlete. You know, if you take one of your athletes that hasn't done exercise in a year and tell them, hey man, now you got to do this routine. They're going to, they're going to kind of not be good for a while. It takes them, you know, a month or two to kind of, you know, get back in shape, so to speak. So that's really what's going on for the most part. And there's some, there's some minor things. Some people, different types of food, too much fat or too much protein can lead to that too. But I think really it's just an adjustment period. And most people, it can be anywhere from, you know, a few days to up to a month or two. And, and, but most people sort of even out over time. I watch a lot of your interviews and they focus on the carnivore aspect. I'm curious what your workout routine looks like. Yeah. So like I said, I'm 53. Uh, you know, if I'm training for a specific goal and it's heavily, you know, like rowing right now, I do a lot of rowing, but just for general um, fitness type stuff. I mean, I think one, it's important to maintain muscle mass and strength. So I do strength work, you know, kind of traditional stuff, squats, deadlifts, you know, pressing type stuff. I'll do uh, some some bodybuilding type stuff, hypertrophy, you know, stuff that you see. Um, I do. I also think it's important to be conditioned, and so I do a lot of hit type stuff, high intensity training, high high intensity interval training type stuff, sprinting. Uh, particularly, I like to go. I like to go really, really hard. I mean, I like to go. You know, I, I like when I do intervals. I call them chainsaw intervals. I get on a bike and I'll pretend I got Freddy Krueger with a chainsaw chasing me, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre guy. And I'm like, I got to go as hard as I can for 20 seconds or he's going to kill me, right? So that's a chainsaw interval. And I do that and I rest long enough to where I can do it again. So I, I'm not just, I, I just want to make sure I can maintain that intensity. And the other thing I do, um, which is a little more unique than most people do, is I still do a lot of explosive type work. I still do a lot of jumping. I do a lot of plyometric work. I do a lot of med ball explosive throws because that's something old guys tend to lose. You know, you, you, a lot of guys can maintain strength, but you look at them and they can't move. They're all stiff and they walk around like, you know, like, oh, my back and I can't move. And, I, you know, I think you need to be able to be able to move and jump and, and throw and run fast and sprint. I, you know, you should be able to, in my view, you know, just run, go sprint. You don't need to spend 10 minutes full ro- foam rolling and stretching and all that stuff. I mean, I can get out there and just run a sprint, you know, without any warm up, which is nice at 53 without pulling every muscle. I might not go 100%, but I'll go pretty damn fast. And then, you know, I do some, I mean, I don't, not, not to make an excuse, but I'm 6'5, I got 39 inch sleeves. I, I'm not a good, uh, you know, calisthenics guy for some of those things, you know, as far as doing muscle ups and, uh, some of those things, handstands and all that stuff. Like Have you tried? You know, I've, I've done, I've, I had some rings. I would do, I would do some chin-ups and I would do, uh, you know, like skin the cat type stuff, which is, you know, not really that, that it's not that hard. Obviously you guys are doing levers and all that stuff, but, um, I messed around. I tried messing around doing, you know, with like planches on the ground a little bit and nice. just kind of messing, you know, I got kind of, you know, in that tra- transition, but I mean, for me, it's, it's obviously it's a time thing, right? You got to spend, put the time in to be good at that stuff. And, you know, it's, I mean, I'm really impressed by some of the guys. And I've seen some big guys do it. And, I, you know, I remember I was at Muscle Beach filming, and there was a dude, 
you know, and I'm not a small guy. I'm like 6'5", 240. This dude, he was probably 6'6", six, six, probably 270. And he was doing all that stuff, like doing wow. all that. And I was like, man, he's like, I think he's like a Hollywood actor dude. He's like, an, you know, maybe he's like an extra guy, but he's pretty impressive physical guy doing a lot of the gymnastics stuff. I thought that's pretty damn impressive. But, you know, obviously, you know, just, just focusing on it and having the time. I mean, I'd love to do I mean, I'd love to spend it like we talked about before the show. We'd love to have this time where we can just play all day long and do this fun physical stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, you got to focus on some other things. Yeah, you're, right? you're a father as well, right? Yeah, we got four kids, yeah, four kiddos and business and, you know, obviously got our own podcast and, you know, I'm doing consulting and, you know, we've got it. Like I said, we've this company, meetrx.com, which we just founded, which is really a lot of fun. Uh, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. You know, I'm, I'm you know, 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day working, you know, and uh, uh, just trying to keep getting the message out there. How much time do you work out in the session? <laughs> It depends, man. Some days it's a minute. I mean, literally, I'll get on the rowing machine and blast out a minute as hard as I possibly can, and that's all I need some days. You for know, the whole I, day. For the whole day, some days. I mean, and a lot of people think I spend all day long working out all the time, but, I mean, I really don't. I mean, some days, I mean, a long workout for me these days, uh, hour 15 would be a long workout, you know, because I just, I just, I found one of the nice things about this, this, this diet that I'm on, this, you know, crazy meat diet, is... It's easier to maintain muscle. It's easier to retain muscle. It's easy to, um, you know, recover. Um, I can train really hard, but I don't need to spend as much time doing the volume I did years ago. I mean, used to be I'd work out two, three hours, and, and I enjoyed it. I liked it, but I mean, I just, I don't feel I need I don't need to do that as much. I get more bang for my buck. Maybe I've gotten smarter about it, more efficient. But I think honestly, the fact that I give my body really good building materials. Um, you know, the, the, I mean, meat is just great for building muscle. It really is. It's every amino acid you need. It's got all the uh, performance-enhancing compounds like, you know, creatine, carnitine, carnitine, all those things which are taurine, which are helpful for building muscle. Um, and then the recovery is just excellent. I mean, I just, I just, I just don't really get sore anymore. It's just, I have to do something extremely, extremely unusual, and I've not done it for a, a long, long time for me to ever get sore, which is kind of neat. And so we... You know, I think we don't beat ourselves up oxidatively. You know, when you're doing a lot, when you're doing a lot of workouts and you're using a lot of glucose and, and carbohydrate, um, you you end up kind of doing a little bit of more oxidative damage. And you need the more sleep to, to catch up with that. And you need more building materials, and you you know you might need a whole night of sleep and even some more just to kind of catch up. And I think right now I start off when I go to bed, I, I don't really have that much to recover from, and I and sleep just makes it all go away. So when I start the next day, I'm fully. You know, fully recharged and ready to go. Does your family follow the diet? So my girlfriend is probably about ninety to ninety-five percent, you know, carnivore. She still has if you still have some avocados and tomatoes once in a while, and a little piece of fruit here and there. When I met her, she was a vegetarian. Uh, we've been together for a little over seven years, and uh, you know, she kind of went from you know having a lot of digestive problems with all the all the vegetables and. To, to uh, and she kind of mirrored my exact same experience. Went through all the dietary changes with me, and kind of when I went carnivore, she was kind of like, oh, "I could never do that." And you know, I she it took her it took her three or four years before she would even eat any red meat. You know, it was like I'll just have a bite of a hamburger. And now she's like cooking up steaks, and you know, she looks forward to that. So it's kind of funny how uh, things over time. And my kids probably 
at least 50, maybe 60, 70% of their diet comes from some sort of animal source food. You know, it's, 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 it's meat, it's eggs, a little bit of dairy, uh, fish, you know, occasionally they might even have some chicken every once in a while. And then the rest is it's fruit. You know, if they want vegetables, which they almost never do, but if they want it, I'll give it, I'll give it to them. And then they have, you know, they have a little bit of other stuff. You know, it's, you know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, a piece of chocolate or something like that. Not a tiny bit of junk food, but not very much. But I mean, I, I make sure they get all their nutritional needs met through, uh, you know, the animal source food. That's that's a priority. I, you know, I don't care what else they eat. As long as they finish the meat on their plate, that's fine. If they don't want to eat the avocado, I don't care. You know, it's just like get the meat done. And then a, lot of, a lot of times my daughters particularly, um, particularly my youngest daughter, she loves, man, she loves steak. I mean, you know, I put I come down and she's always like mouth open, you know, waiting for it. And she's always like, you know, like when you get a ribeye steak, there's a part called the rib cap, uh, which is a really flavorful part of the steak. And I've taught her which part tastes the best. And she's always, Daddy, I want that part. So I'm eating my steak. I got to give it to her, you know. And because you love your kids, you're like, okay, here you go. With this. In the back of your mind, you're like, damn it. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, thank you for coming by. Uh, let us know uh, where we, people could find you and uh, uh, a little bit more about MeetRx. Yeah, so uh, MeetRx.com is a new platform we launched. It's basically, my goal is to make health accessible and affordable to as many people as possible. We have, I think the healthcare system really has let a lot of people down. We have so many people that are sick and just going from pill to pill to pill. And I've kind of called that, I think the healthcare system is sick itself. I think it's kind of become the disease management industry. And it's all about, it's all about, you know, making money and the patients are kind of the afterthought. That's really what it's, it's come to. So we're in what's called, the, what I call the health creation business at meetrx.com. And so we have support systems, free online meetings that are available to people in all kinds of different problems, you know, whether it's diabetes or weight loss or autoimmune or gut health or heart health or mental health or so on and so forth. We have coaching, which is extremely, extremely affordable. I made the prices, I mean, it's like 18 bucks for a half hour coaching session. I mean, it's extremely, that is amazing. it's extremely affordable because I really think that we should allow people to have access to this support you know, as cheaply as possible, because not everybody can afford it. And, I, and that's why I don't talk about you must eat the highest organic this or that. I mean, really, I mean, quite honestly, just, just, just the meat from the store is often fine for many people, and that's all they can afford. And I think we have to realize that, that people, you know, can get better without spending a lot of money. And so uh, this is, you know, this this coaching platform uh, has been helping just lots and lots of people. We're getting really good feedback uh, our plan will be to be collecting data as time goes by, as we get enough, as we get big enough. We only launched, you know, end of November, so we're only a couple months old. But as we get bigger and bigger, uh, we will be able to collect data to where we can say, this is our outcome. Look, this is what we do with diabetes. You know, 80% of our people get better. Or this is what we do with this autoimmune disease. Maybe it's psoriasis or eczema. You know, 75% of our people get better. And then we can compare that to, you know, what, what the regular standard of care is. And if we do better, then I think the market will say, look, these guys, not only these guys are like, you know, 10% of the price or less, their outcomes are better. And I think we get to that point, you know, we're going to have a big shift in how people perceive health. Because I think it's, you know, you know, I think at the end of the day, they don't care how they get better. They just want to get better. It doesn't have to go through the doctor with the white coat handing them their pill. It could be the crazy guy with his group Tell them to eat ribeye steaks. You know, I mean, that, and if that works, it works. And I think we should be open to that. 
Um, social media, it's it's Sean, S-H-A-W-N, Baker, B-A-K-E-R, 1967, Twitter, S, S capital S, capital B, A-K-E-R, and then M-D, which is capital, on Twitter. Um, again, the meetrx.com thing I'm really excited about. I hope people check that out. Um, and then what else? Oh, I've got a YouTube channel, so I do a little YouTube video every day. I throw up, you know, five, ten minutes of me ranting and raving about something, you know, some people... I piss off some people, but you know, so I make some people laugh. I offend some people. I've seen you uh, review some vegan videos. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, maybe something like that. I, I, you know, like I said, I think uh, at the end of the day, you know, it's about getting the message out, and I think the message that I'm trying to get out to people at the end of the day is helping people. Now, you know, as you know, media, social media is kind of a game. I mean, it's like you know, how do you, how do you uh, clickbait people into looking and seeing? Because you know, again, you can have the best message in the world, but if no one hears it. It's a waste of time. So you got to, you know, you got to, you got to do the dog and pony, you know, play the clown, do some tricks, so people will tune in. And when they do that, then they find if they stick around long enough, they'll say, "Hey, look, look at all these people getting healthy. Maybe there's something here." You know, I've had a lot of vegans. I mean, I cannot tell you how many vegans have been on my social media. And they start out thinking I'm the worst person in the world and wishing me, I wishing I die, and calling me every name in the book, and then like two months, three months later, six months later, like, hey man, sorry, I used to hate you, but now I love you, and you've changed my life. And so this is, I tell, I tell vegans, hey man, going on my page is hazardous to your diet, you know, because you might change your mind. And so that's what we see. Beautiful. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks, Edward. If you guys want to learn more about Kaisai's training, I advise you guys check out Barstar's BTX. It's an app on your phone, also a web design, and also printable PDFs. It gives you a full 12-week program of calisthenics. It teaches you from a beginner progressions all the way to the advanced with basic conditioning as well as introductory skills, such as the planche and the front lever. You'll be able to learn these step-by-step -step while conditioning your body and turning yourself into an all-around badass. Check it out, barstarsbtx.com.